The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump suggests an Iran strike that has raised bipartisan alarm facing the latest developments regarding Saudi Arabia and Saudi Aramco. We have the latest from the State Department with regards to the escalating situation overseas, plus direct comment from Senator Mitt Romney now at odds. With regards to the Trump administration's foreign policy, we will bring that to you. All of that, plus the latest from over the weekend from the 2020 Democratic campaign trail. An all-star panel, Democratic strategist Roger Fisk and Republican strategist Sari Kim. A lot to get through on what has been a volatile weekend in the past 72 hours with regards to foreign policy. Before we get to that, though, over the weekend, Saudi Arabia blaming Iran for a drone strike on oil structures in Saudi Arabia. Now, since then, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has also directly implicated the Iranians. President Trump has not gone so far as to specifically blame Iran, but he did tweet out just, uh, just within the last day, quote, Saudi Arabia oil supply was attacked. There is reason to believe that we know the culprit are locked and loaded depending on verification, but are awaiting to hear from the kingdom as to who they believe was the cause of this attack and under what terms we would proceed. A lot of questions surrounding that. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney, the Republican senator from Utah, saying, quote, in a tweet, direct engagement by U.S. military in response to Iran's attacks on Saudi oil infrastructure would be a grave mistake. The U.S. has continued arms sales to Saudi Arabia, can defend itself. If Saudi Arabia responds against Iran attacks, the U.S. should be ready to support in a non-kinetic role. Sari Kim, former, previously having served in the Trump administration, play this out for us in the next 24 hours in what feels like an incredibly intense, volatile, escalating situation. I would say three things. First and foremost, Saudi Arabia is going to blame um, the Houthi rebels in um, Yemen as opposed to Iraq because they're not going to destabilize their Aramco offering in November, which is worth $2 trillion, according to the prince. So everybody just should take a deep breath and understand it's not going to get that challenging and arduous. Two, as it relates to American consumers, the United States is a next 
net exporter of oil. Since President Trump has been elected into office in 2018, we now export more oil than we import. So it's not really going to affect us um, in the long term. And then three, as it relates to the short term, Look, this is the biggest disruption in oil prices since the Iranian Revolution in 1978 and 1979. But what it doesn't do is impact your gas prices tomorrow, next week, three weeks from now, at Thanksgiving, because people purchased oil in the previous quarter. So again, as I say with all things related to President Trump, as it relates to the current political environment, everybody just take a deep breath. It is okay. Roger Fisk, I mean, you have previously a long experience with regards to, to working with John Kerry, uh, and obviously he is the former Secretary of State. But when you look at this in a global context, how important are the next 24 hours to de-escalate, which seems like a very escalating situation? Well, I think, uh, first off, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with both of you. Um, it's tremendously disheartening to see the president's initial instinct is one to lunge in defense of and in subservience to the crown prince. There's basically two people, either in the world, you could argue, that are always telling the truth. Putin is always telling the truth and MBS is always telling the truth. Everybody else lies. And the fact that he is that he thinks it is part of his responsibility to genuflect in front of these individuals is uh, should be a, a source of tremendous concern for anyone that he would that that he is so willing and so quick to subcontract out the U.S. military and basically put it at the disposal of someone who's technically not even an ally. Um, I find very odd and very troubling, and it fits a larger pattern, both international and domestic, of utter incoherence on, on the part of this president. And just to bring folks up to speed, Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware, he's also one of the senior members on Senate Foreign Relations, the Democrat saying, quote, he said this on Fox and Friends earlier, quote, Iran is one of the most dangerous state sponsors of terrorism. This may well be the thing that calls for military action against Iran if that's what the intelligence supports. That's from Chris Coons, who is a Democrat. Uh, and I also just want to note that just within the last hour, President Trump uh, had, has told reporters, quote, when he was asked by reporters in a press gaggle after a meeting with the Prince of Bahrain, uh, Bahrain uh, he had said, quote, it's looking that way when asked point blank whether or not Iran was responsible. And he said, quote, that's being checked out right now. And quote, if I'm able to get that soundbite, I'll play for everybody that coming up. I want to play now, Siri, and get your response to what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on the on the Senate room floor earlier today with regards to, again, this drone strike uh, on Saudi Arabia's oil supply from over the weekend. Take a listen to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaking on the Senate floor earlier today. Here he is. I hope our international partners will join us in imposing consequences on Tehran for this reckless, destabilizing attack. Sari, so you hear the president within the last two hours say it's looking that way with regards to Iran being being behind uh, these drone strikes on, on Saudi Arabia. And you also hear Senator Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware on Senate Foreign Relations, speaking earlier on Fox and Friends. And now you have the majority leader speaking earlier on the Senate floor. Iran is in the focus of a bipartisan group of influential lawmakers inside of the Beltway. 
So let's bifurcate this on the R&D side. So on the Republican side, part of the reason why, in my opinion, Ambassador Bolton was pushed out is because President Trump knows that his presidency will forever end if he gets in involved in another interminable war in the Middle East. And I think every Republican senator who thinks otherwise, who thinks we should be involved in oil-based wars in Iraq, Venezuela, in Iran potentially, they are not looking at what the American public wants. And as it relates specifically to the Democrats, and what my um, colleague here next to me has been saying, you have to consider the fact during the eight years of the Obama administration that they were willing to give $1.5 billion worth of bribes over to Iran. They're willing to stand and support France and the other EU countries as they come around with, you know, wraparounds and walkarounds to the JCPOA. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago in France, Macron wants to meet with Zarif, but at the same time, he's trying to come up with his own interchange so he doesn't face U.S. sanctions because he wants wants oil from Iran. Both parties and the global infrastructure who is desperate for oil to fuel their economies need to come to one conclusion. Either you do maximum pressure on Iran, force them to become behavioral, normative, governing individuals, or you stop basing your economies on the oil that comes out of Iran. You can't have it both ways. You can't preach morality and then say you want to get involved in war. It's one or the other. I actually agree with a lot of that, uh, with one or two caveats. First, the $1.5 billion was the result of two things, unfrozen assets that were frozen many decades ago, and also an arms deal where the U.S. was paid soon after the revolution, or soon before, rather, and never delivered the arms, and that sat there, and it was adjudicated, and that was money that was basically frozen um, since, uh, since the revolution in Iran. I take some level of issue. It's it, there's no diplomatic agreement. We're sitting here now, you know, at the hundredth anniversary of the Treaty of Versailles, for example. There's never been a diplomatic agreement that is perfect, and there's never been a diplomatic agreement that is easy, and there's never been a diplomatic agreement that cannot be easily attacked in sound bites and talk radio and et cetera. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be guided by those appetites, you might as well do what this administration is doing, which is completely scrap any diplomatic efforts at all, stick to bloviating on Twitter and complaints and, and, this day and conspiracies age. and misinformation and sometimes outright lies. Because I don't think that this crew has the patience or the self-restraint to get into something that takes, even if we go down a road that maybe you would advocate for, it would take at least one or two years to truly come up with a diplomatic fix. And I don't think that this crew has um, demonstrated the stamina to actually go through a process like that. Well, I would disagree because the most important thing as it relates to diplomacy is meeting face-to-face -face with the other side. President Obama chose not to engage with Venezuela, with North Korea, with Iran, and I just think that it's not okay. All right, we're going to have much more on this coming up, <laughs> and we're also going to play for you what President Trump had to say about this within the last hour. And by the way, in, in, in terms of what Sari Kim, Republican strategist, just said about face-to-face, -face, UNGA, the UN General Assembly meeting, is just a week and a half away. Panel stays, Roger Fisk, Sari Kim. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and Spotify. Happy Monday, folks. Lots to get through. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. 
I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Look, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed in my Philadelphia Eagles for that slow start the second week in a row that they came out just so incredibly off their game in the first quarter. Really disappointing. But you know what? We're going to turn it around. I'm joined by a panel of political all-stars to help navigate what was a wild, bumpy ride over the weekend on the domestic front with the 2020 Democratic candidates. Roger Fisk, a veteran in Democratic circles with regards to campaigns. He's a a longtime uh, ally to Obama. He has also previously worked with John Kerry. Sari Kim is back as well. She is, of course, a Republican strategist, having previously uh, served in the Trump administration and for Daryl Issa on House Oversight. We're thrilled to have you both here. All right, you and I talk about this series offline all the time about how it's time to start taking Andrew Yang seriously. And just today, there's a story out on the Bloomberg terminal that he raised a million dollars, a million dollars in just this weekend alone. Our good friend of the program and colleague Ryan Teague Beckwith has an amazing story on the Bloomberg terminal. Andrew Yang brings Silicon Valley's upstart spirit to the 2020 bid. Like him or lump him, he is emerged from Houston as as a winner by by all punditry accounts for whatever that's worth. He was always it was a, a ton of play on social media. Are Republicans taking him seriously, Sari, in terms of a potential opposition research and 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 taking him credibly? Two things. I would say one, yes, because for the first time ever, President Trump tweeted about him. And it was actually incredibly friendly. It was actually incredibly friendly. He said that, you know, he wouldn't vote for Andrew Yang, but he would be friends with Andrew Yang. And I think that's kind of what he offers to this very strident, angry, and tired Democratic field. And two, it's really important for the Republican Party, not just because I'm an Asian American, but according to the U.S. Census Bureau, Asian Americans are the fastest growing demographic and the Latins have taken this away from us but between 2000 and 2015 72% increase in Asian Americans but at the same time Latinos only grew 60% Asian Americans make $20,000 more than the median. Asian Americans own small businesses. Asian Americans are incredibly conservative. And yet the Republican Party has a paucity of imagination when it comes to reaching out to Asians. I work for President Bush as well. In my 12 years in Washington, D.C., never not once has the RNC reached out to me for any Asian American outreach. And I worked for two presidents, two presidential campaigns, Daryl Issa, what is going on with the Republican Party? I love when you talk about this. I, no, I, I really do. No, I think it's, it's so a, it's important. A I think it's a, it's a, it's a very seriously, and I mean that. Uh, you know, as someone who knows you, I, I think when you do talk about this issue, it's, it's people should listen, and and good for you for for speaking up about that. I think diversity, no matter what it is, especially in the Republican Party, uh, is a good thing. And, Absolutely. And and yeah, so so well, Roger, though, from from your vantage point, Yang Gang. I mean, every debate I've been to, I've been to three now in the Democratic. I'm telling you, the Yang Gang supporters are there. I mean, is this universal basic income, the $1,000 a month issue, is this now going to be injected into mainstream democratic democratic political orth- orth- orthodoxy? Short answer, no. But I did find something really interesting, which is someone brought up, is it even legal for a campaign to give a voter $1,000? And I, I, maybe you wow. could shed some light on that. I don't even know, I don't know that if one can, one can do that. We're always you know, about who's donating to the campaigns <laughs> and whether that's legal, <laughs> not if they're giving it away. You and I have, have spoken uh, glowingly of um, your 
peers slash competitors over at Hill TV, where I'm a frequent guest. And yes, they, do they say work. that, you know, when when Yang's name is on a clip or whatever, that the, the clicks go oh, through the roof. Totally so true. Something something is definitely going on there. I, you know, there you can kind of the, the, the green kind of quality of uh, how he's presenting himself kind of comes through. I, I think it was a little odd, you know, saying, I'm, you know, I'm Asian, so I know a lot of doctors and stuff like that. Who it's does he take kind of comes off from, as a little, a little tinny, frankly. I don't. I don't know where someone would get something like that. I like. I. I don't walk around thinking that there's a disproportionate number of Asian doctors or something. Who but does he take votes from in the Democratic primary? No one. So then, where do those votes go? Well, I mean, if do you know you, what I mean. If, well, two or three percent, you know, down there. I will give him this, which, and this is back to your original point, which is the the level of passion amongst his people, similar to kind of Bernie's people and increasingly Warren's people, and what should be Biden's concern going into a caucus, is that I bet, you know, if if Mr. Yang has three percent, that three percent will get up at four thirty in the morning and march through sleet and snow to get to the caucus. You know what I'm saying? So that that can actually matter. Actually, that's exactly what your colleague at Bloomberg wrote in that incredible article. Ryan Teague-Beckford. Yes, he took. He was saying that in that article that he's getting the Bernie bros. And he's also getting from people mm. as it relates to Elizabeth Warren's passion play for those who are interested in next generation theory when it comes to government. This idea of automation taking over the world. This idea that, you know climate change is coming forth, so we really need to build homes at a higher level. Elon and, Musk endorsed them. Yes, and this income thing is really interesting. The FEC has not been clear either way, just like the um, – yeah, so the FEC hasn't said one way or the other. But I think what's really interesting about Andrew Yang's income proposal is that it would replace uh, Medicare, Medicaid – uh, food stamps and a lot of the social welfare programs and this is why i think the republican party should pay attention so it's like a block grant to individuals exactly it's right, a so life i grant. listen i think i think i think what we've identified here is that for andrew yang catching fire is bad news for for bernie sanders in the sense that that same type of fervor and that that there's pas- that passionate level of support that's interesting i'm always interested one of the things that I'm fascinated by pollsters is to see the second choices for a lot of these candidates. Like, who do you like, but who's your number two? Because so much of that matters, especially as we go further and further along. All right, President Trump's headed to New Mexico today, Siri. Why is Pre- okay? New Mexico. Listen, I'm all for campaign everywhere. Everyone should hear from all the candidates. But 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 New Mexico is like it's turning even more blue. It's not even purple. Why is he headed to New Mexico, Sarah Kim? I really think for three reasons. One, he won Michigan and Pennsylvania when he wasn't supposed True. to. True. So polling numbers for him, it's irrelevant. Two, New Mexico is close to that wall, and they are losing jobs to illegal immigrants. And I think he wants to take it to those type of voters. And three, when you tell President Trump he can't <laughs> do something, tell him he's gonna lose. He's he like, legit go. is going to do it. And I, honest to goodness, I was not in that room. I literally think somebody told him, you can't do it, you can't win it, you can't go there. And he was like, try me. <laughs> Quickly, Roger Fisk, I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on New Mexico, but I am going to ask you to weigh in on this. Now that the dust has settled from the Castro-Biden moment, Biden emerges stronger after that moment? Castro emerges weaker? Or what's your What's your take on Monday afternoon? Well, when you're the front runner at this point, every day that you don't get mortally wounded is a win, right? <laughs> 
and, and, and when you're, Wise, and when, not just when you're the front when you're when, a human being. When you're, and, where, and when you're a Castro, every day that you don't mortally wound the front runner is a loss. Okay. So in that sense, there was a little bit of a hullabaloo and a, you know, a 48-hour lap around the, meet, the kind of chattering cycle. But things come full circle and basically are where they started. All right, coming up, much more on the geopolitical front. We've got that fresh sound from President Trump with regards to Saudi Arabia and Iran. Panel stage, Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, Sari Kim, Republican strategist. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. U.S. stocks slipped, oil surged, and investors sought out assets considered to be havens in times of troubles after a strike on Saudi Arabia's crude production heightened geopolitical risk. With me to navigate this volatile weekend and Monday in global politics, Democratic strategist Roger Fisk and Republican strategist Sari Kim. Roger has been a longtime ally to former President Barack Obama. He has previously also worked to uh, the former Senator John Kerry and the former Secretary of State and Sari Kim, previously working in the Trump administration and having worked for Daryl Issa on House Oversight. I'm looking at the markets panel. Thank you both for being here. And losses for automakers helped drag the S&P 500 index down the most in almost two weeks. I'm also looking at the developments in the Middle East that are testing sentiment after a bullish start to the month for global equities and other riskier assets. I mean, literally, I was plugged in while I was watching. No, no, I mean, I was plugged in, not paying attention to anything else yesterday, just at the oil prices yesterday and just how they shot up with regards to to all of the developments following that drone strike on uh, an oil uh, oil fields in uh, in Saudi Arabia, and we do have fresh sound from President Trump speaking out earlier this afternoon, just about an hour ago, where he was asked by reporters in the Oval Office whether or not he believes that Iran was responsible for that drone strike. Take a listen to the President of the United States. In that way, we'll have some pretty good. Uh, uh, we're having some very strong studies done, but it's certainly looking that way at this moment, and uh, we'll let you know as soon as we find out definitively. We'll let you know, but it does look that way. So President Trump saying that it looks that way that Iran was responsible for that in a tweet that he had sent out on Sunday. He said that they, the, without naming Iran, that that the U.S. was quote unquote locked and loaded. End quote. President Trump, again, later this afternoon, following a visit with Bahrain's crown prince, Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa, was also asked whether or not he wanted to have military conflict or war with Iran. 
Take a listen to President Trump answering that question in the Oval Office. Do I want war? I don't want war with anybody. I'm somebody that would like not to have war. Sari Kim, we put this in context, the president's remarks this afternoon with what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on the floor, finger pointing to Iran. Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware uh, on, who spoke on Fox News, also speaking critically of Iran. It, it, it sounds that there's nonpartisan agreement that Iran is somehow connected to this. There's no actual studies that have been done, but according to the public comments from those lawmakers and the president of the United States, Iran will now be under even more of a microscope and their financial dealings will be under more of a microscope. This, as the State Department Secretary Pompeo has put a maximum campaign of pressure on them with regards to sanctions. We're just a week and a half away from the UN General Assembly meeting. How much more pressure will be on them, especially their relationships to Russia and China? So let's trifurcate this into three tranches, economic, military, and social. First, as it relates to economic, Iran has 40% unemployment. They are under a maximum pressure sanction campaign where it's not just their leadership, but now we're going into Zarif and to the military generals. So I think what you see in internal Iran is a desire for a re regime change. So whatever we feel about external pressure, it is working within the country. So as it relates to the economics of it, I mean, Iran is definitely suffering, as is the other countries countries who are exporting oil from Iran because we told them that we're going to sanction them. Two, as it relates to the military, Iran does not have the capability to go to war in the United States. When you consider the Iranian annual budget is about $300 billion, the United States annual budget is $13 trillion. It's never going to happen. I want to make you, I want to, I want to, I want to get to your last point, but sure. I just want to follow up on that because Roger, and, and so remember that third point, but Roger, what she just said was uh, uh, Iran can't afford to go to, to war with the United States, but Saudi Arabia if we if we go upon the drone strike and there's a story on the terminal that was published within the last day, Saudi Arabia obviously can't afford to protect Saudi Aramco's oil. I mean, I mean, and and this how could I'm reading from my colleague Mark Champion's uh, story on Bloomberg? How could Saudi Arabia, a country with the world's third largest military budget and six battalions of U.S. built Patriot missile defense systems, fail to defend the beating heart of the oil industry on which the kingdom depends? That in and of itself, the lack of security at, at, at this oil fields, I think, is a, is a, is a glaring siren uh, for volatility in the marketplace. Roger. I agree. And, you know, Iran, uh, I don't think Iran would necessarily go to war. I think what they would do is take the level of terrorism that they're sponsoring and coordinating and just take it upwards by five or 10 or 15 percent which is enough of a threat. There's, a, there's an assumption that if, if you're uh, uh, an advocate for something like the JCPOA, or loosely called the Iran nuclear deal, that somehow you're either a romantic about Iran or you're somehow even a fan of Iran. There's no, as you were saying with Senator Coons, there's no doubt that they have fingerprints on this situation and many others like it. So nothing that I say should be interpreted as being a fan of it. That said, for whatever reason, um, and back to my initial point about the president lunging in the, in, to, to be at the um, service of the crown prince, you know, MBS looks at this and says, if I can get the U.S. to carry this water, of course I'm going to, even though, as you mentioned, their level of defense is great. They're, the Patriot missiles made an end over Massachusetts, I'll, I'll have you know, by Raytheon. Um, 
is still, you know, poised and, and positioned to deal with, um, you know, a, a much larger scale kind of threat. But for anyone to portray Saudi Arabia as if they are uh, vulnerable or weak uh, infrastructurally when it comes to their military is, I don't, I, I don't think that's accurate. And at the same time, if they can get uh, the U.S. to step up and shoulder some of the burden like we have for them in the past, that they'll just allow that to continue. And ostensibly, this is the chain of events and, and the pattern that this president was going to break. So we shall see. All right. So, so Sarah, I'm looking at this, that President Vladimir Putin of Russia said that Russia is willing to defend Saudi Arabia by selling it the advanced S-400 anti-aircraft system. So the Russians, after having ties to Iran, are now saying that they're going to help Saudi Arabia. I, I'm also incredibly, uh, I, well, I think an important thing to note in all of this is just the the relationship between China's investments with Iran as well. Sarah, your third point. Well, so the third point is social moral. I mean, you just brought up China. I think yep. it's really important for us to discuss the fact that they they just negotiated a four hundred billion dollar deal with Iran in order to help them. The with, Chinese did. The Chinese. The chi did. I think this bears repeating. Oil, the Chinese. The Chinese brokered a four hundred billion dollar billion dollars. Wow. Be with a like billion dollar deal with Iran for oil security, right? And the Russians would be interested in protecting Saudi Arabia because it's not that the president, the current president of the United States, has been a good partner to Saudi Arabia. For the last 100 years, the United States government has sold arms to Saudi Arabia. And the current deal that we are brokering with Saudi Arabia, the arms, it was negotiated by President Obama. We're not giving them anything new and novel. We're completing a deal of the previous president. So again, but, but all that to say when it comes to morality, look, this is an oil-based argument. We either have to decide as global consumers whether we want oil to fuel our next day Amazon Prime purchases, whether we want oil to make our plastic Starbucks cups, whether we want oil so that we can live in million-dollar mansions two hours away and spend $40 on gas. We have to decide as global consumers, is oil more important or is morality more important? And until you make that discussion and until you make that decision, these morality conversations have no place. It's either business as usual, or you can have more. So what do you what? So I mean, I'm not trying. What do you mean by that? So what? What's your like? Are you saying that the U.S. should pull away from what? So what I'm saying is that both Democrats and Republicans, when they look at the rubrics of what we should do as it relates to Saudi, what we should do as it relates to Iraq, what we should do as it relates to Iran, we can't at one point say, oh, these regimes are horrible, they're killing people, you know, and then we contextualize that with what's happening in North Korea and the fact that the current dictator over there allegedly has killed over 10 million of his own people, yet we're not calling to go into war every day because they don't have oil. We're gonna uh, coming up. We're gonna we're gonna. I think that's a good place to to pause. That coming up, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about what's on the panel's radar. Uh, Sari Kim, Roger Fisk, I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent from Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Monday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Busy, busy week, busy, busy times. We've been, we've been talking about all of it, the, the situation with Saudi Arabia, as well as Congress being back uh, 
they've got a, a lot of stuff on their plate for lack of a better for lack of a better word and it's why i'm so grateful to have uh, Sari Kim here, a Republican strategist. She previously served in the Trump administration as well as for House Oversight for Daryl Issa. Uh, you can find also her freelance reporting all over the Washingtonian and travel life. I- I'm like glued to everything you come out with. You're always going, you're jet-setting around the world reviewing hotels ever since you've taken a breather from the Trump administration. Where's your latest piece? I always forget. So I had two articles in Capital File this wow. morning. I was on ABC. And next You're week, everywhere. I'm going to Patagonia Camp in Patagonia. Patagonia Camp. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about that. It's going to be awesome. awesome. I'm excited. I've never been. Uh, Roger Fisk is here as well. All right. So we do this thing, both of you know, at the end of the show, where we, we talk about what's on your radar and one thing that, that folks might have missed. Sari, I will start with you. What is on your radar? So what is on my radar, because we always say we're going to talk about football, and I think we should. Let's talk about the NFC East, and let's talk about my hometown team, the Dallas Cowboys, going 2-0, beating the Redskins. And here's my thing. Okay, because that was a hard – that was a hard – sell to beat the Washington Redskins. I, just, I, sh- I say that as an, I apologize, <laughs> Washington. I just really just love the Eagles. Go ahead. I just want to say, so I was at an event with the NFL and um, ESA Sports. They were I doing couldn't the make mad- it. I know, because uh, you don't like me. Why are no. you not coming to these events? Go ahead. No, I know you actually like me. But here's what I think. Our quarterback at the Dallas Cowboys, he is in the midst of contract negotiations. And they say he, they might, he might get a guaranteed $200 million, which I think is crazy. But it is my firm belief that people who play with an axe over their necks play better. And Dax doesn't think that he's going to get the contract that he wants, so he's playing out. So I don't believe in multi-year contracts. I think they should all play year by year. All right, Sari, what's on your political radar? Oh, we have to do political? Okay. <laughs> so the White House the White House is going to issue their legislative text when it comes to gun control background. Yes. And I think it's really critical for our three senators, Colorado, Maine, and also in North Carolina, that we give them something. We have to give them something with the suburban voters. You're saying Republican that's right I what do you say, what do you give so i think for Corey gardner who's home state you know obviously had columbine susan collins and tom tillis Ugh. you got to do the crazy guns look i'm a second amendment person i shoot guns i have in the past owned guns i don't own guns in dc anymore but i'm just saying you got to help them out it's interesting i mean this comes in the context of um with regards to better O'Rourke at the Houston debate saying he wants to ban certain weapons as well. Uh, and the NRA is incredibly weakened. I mean, in covering these for the past eight years, uh, the NRA politically has never been more weak given that volatile summer that they had with with on that issue as well. Uh, Roger Fisk, what's on your radar? I was going to say something else, but I just changed my mind. Oh, so that's intriguing. <laughs> we're, we're, and you just mentioned the NRA. The gun industry is not doing all that well under President Trump because everyone's in very comfortable with the idea that he's not going to be taking guns away. Whereas under the president I worked for, um, there was this mantra that the jackbooted thugs were about to come into your home and take your guns away. So sales skyrocketed. It would be very interesting for me to see if possibly there's part of the NRA that actually might want Oh, a Democratic president. Interesting. That's an interesting radar. And just as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal background checks and other gun violence prevention measures. That's an interesting thing. I mean, and and for the audience who's driving, you couldn't see this, but Roger Fisk just made the basketball hoop 
hoop motion. Interesting, Roger. What's on my radar? U.S.-China trade negotiators are set to, uh, they're expected to meet by next week. American and Chinese senior trade negotiations are expected to resume negotiations in the next week and a half. I apologize. In the next week and a half. That according to the Bloomberg Terminal, Mark Niquette and Ben Marodi reporting. I want to thank Roger Fisk and Sari Kim for all of their help as we navigated through some really difficult topics today, especially on the geopolitical front. Incredibly, incredibly important. That does it for me. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and Spotify. Happy Monday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.